Hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is a special episode and joining me today is developer Paul Kafasis. He is the founder and CEO of Rogue Amoeba, which is an incredible company that makes all kinds of Mac software. And we'll talk about that throughout the show. But Paul, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, glad to be here. So the reason why I reached out, obviously, there's the big antitrust congressional hearing that happened here in the United States, and Tim Cook was one of the four CEOs on it. And he made some statements about the App Store and policies and things like that. And I saw you, or at least Rogamiba, tweet in support of Brent Simmons's article, which we covered on the podcast. And so I wanted to ask some specific questions, and maybe we could start with something that goes back to history, because one of Tim Cook's statements was that when the App Store was created, the prevailing distribution options available to software developers at the time did not work well. That's a quote from the actual hearing, right. saying that brick-and-mortar stores charged high fees and all that. Now, Rogamiba has existed since 2002, and, and you could tell us how long you've been a developer even before that. But talk to me about that statement as far as, you know, there was only one way to do it, and it wasn't good back in the day meaning early 2000s, 1990s. Right. So yeah, this is something that sort of caught our attention, caught my attention, caught the attention of a good number of developers that I'm in contact with uh, who have been making software on the Mac for many years. We, As you said, we've been around for almost 18 years, uh, just a couple months from now, it'll be 18 years. And I've been developing software for a few years before that. So over two decades. In that time, I have sold my companies and I have sold software online exclusively. We've never had a boxed product uh, we've never been on a store shelf. And as I said, we've been running this company for almost 20 years, 18 years. We did not have the App Store on the Mac until 2011. So our company existed for nine years before the Mac App Store existed. And our software is by and large not on the Mac App Store due to some of the restrictions that Apple has. And for the nine years since it opened, since the App Store opened, we have continued to do business and continued to grow and gain new customers. So this this It'd be good if we had, did, was that, that was the exact quote that Tim said? Yes, his exact quote was, this was in his opening statement, right. that the prevailing distribution options available to developers at the time did not work well. Brick and mortar stores charged high fees and had limited reach. Physical media like CDs had to be shipped and were hard to update. Again, totally bypassing the idea that developers could sell directly on the internet at the time. Right. Could could distribute, put up a download online and then receive payment online and never need a physical product. Uh, never need a CD, never need to ship anything. The the problem with that statement, there's nothing that is factually incorrect. Brick and mortar stores didn't work well. You had limited shelf space. Even the Apple stores had limited shelf space. Right. Uh, and you know you could only have, I don't know, whatever number, 50 or 100 different software products on the shelf. And uh, developers had to pay to have that shelf space and you had to pay more to be on the end cap so that people would see you even if they didn't go down the aisle. And, right. uh, you know, you paid staples to get your software on the on the shelf. And uh, <laughs> right. that that was not a good model. That uh, absolutely that is absolutely true. But as you said, this ignores that little thing called the Internet <laughs> and the World Wide Web, where you could put up a, a website. Nowadays, you can get payment processing working ridiculously easily. Oh, yeah. But even in 2002, it was a matter of a few hours, maybe a couple days to get payment processing through a service. Right. Uh, in our time, we have used four different payment processing services, uh, but all of that never required anything more than signing up online and getting approval. And then they would process credit cards and we would pay a small 5 to 10% fee for that. 
And then we, at the end of the month, we would have money and, and it worked pretty well and it continues to work pretty well. As I said, the statement is, everything in it is factually true, but it ignores reality where <laughs> the internet has made it possible to distribute software long before the app stores existed. The problem is that the people that he is addressing, the uh, congressional uh, delegation that he's addressing is not necessarily in tune enough to realize how misleading this is. And let me ask you again, one of the big things that's been in the news is the cut that Apple takes. Sure. And we all know it's it's 30%. And we'll get to in a moment how that might not be equal across all developers. But one of the statements, and John Gruber quotes this in an article that he wrote recently, actually quoting Steve Jobs's announcement of the App Store back in 2008. From way back, yeah. I, I read this and I had forgotten this quote. It's a, it's a very good quote, so go ahead, I'm sorry. So Steve Jobs says, and I quote, we don't intend to make any money off the App Store. We're basically giving all the money to the developers and the 30% that pays for running the store, that'll be great. End quote. And this is that was from 2008 when they when the App Store launched. Right. So we're now 12 years later. Service revenue is a huge deal. Tell me when you began distributing software, is the 30% anywhere near what developers would pay outside of the App Store distributing themselves? No. Uh, right. Period. I mean, it's it's absurd. No, I mean, like <laughs> right. I'll, I'll I'll go in in depth on this. Absolutely, percentages are easy to talk about. Thirty percent is an absurd number. It was an absurd number in two thousand eight. It's even more absurd in twenty twenty. Right. In two thousand eight, when Steve Jobs said this, I don't believe he was being forthright. But I think there's at least it's at least defensible to say, hey, we don't know if. You know, there's going to be a whole bunch of free apps on the store, and we're not going to make any money off those. We get that. We need to make money off the paid apps, even to subsidize, you know, something nowadays. It's like the Facebook app that has millions of downloads right. uh, and, you know, does use a certain amount of server resources. But even in 2008, uh, server resources were cheap. They were getting cheaper. Uh, it was obvious that they were getting cheaper. I remember in 2008 uh, when, you know, 30% was announced, and I said, man, that's a lot of money. Because to me, you know, a Hollywood agent takes 10%, I think. The 10% to me is, you know, that's that's an agent style cut. Right. So to, to your question of, you know, what do developers pay? I, I touched on it briefly. When we use a payment processor, I don't know what our current numbers are. I'd have to look. But you can set up payment through Stripe, Amazon Payments, PayPal, right. uh, or an actual payment processing service. Paddle is the one we use. There's also Fastspring and, uh, you know, Digital River all sorts of services that make it very easy for you to put up a form on your website and take credit cards. Right. And they will run from like two to 10%. And 10% is high <laughs> nowadays. So it's really right. more like two to 5% is what any developer should be paying for the payment portion of this. Right. As far as setting up a website and a server and everything, you know, the cost to set up a web server is minimal. You know, you can set up a server. If you're just trying to get your business started, you can set up a, probably a free server or 10, 20 bucks a month. Uh, and as far as downloads go, the more downloads you have, presumably the more sales you're going to have. So that's going to pay for itself. Right. Uh, and downloads are fractions of a cent as far as, you know, uh, every download that we have of our software products. Do, it doesn't even cost us a penny. Well, and I have clients that I'll set up on Squarespace, which they do digital downloads. And you get a you get your first month free on there, I think. <laughs> yeah, and you can actually get a discount if you pay for a year. But Squarespace, even the business plan, I think is $24 a month. And then Stripe, they integrate with Stripe. And Stripe takes 2.9% plus 30 cents. Right. So minimal percentage, we're talking about a digital download. Right. So, so the idea that 30% is just paying for the store, like I said, in 2008, 
it was maybe defensible that you that Apple didn't know what the store was going to cost them. There's no way to look at this if you have any knowledge of what server costs are and what payment processing costs are and think, yep, 30% is just uh, breaking even for them. Right. It's it's not necessarily fair to use this quote from 12 years ago and say, oh, well, you know, clearly they're lying now because they haven't said this recently. Right. But at some point they decided, you know what, we do want to make money from the App Store. Then things flipped and... That 30% starts to make a lot more sense if they're saying, you know what, we want to profit from this as well. Right. I don't think they should, but it at least is, uh, it'd be more honest if they said, yep, we're charging 30% because we run this platform and we want to make money from it. And we want to make money, not just selling you the hardware, not just selling our own software, but off the work that other developers are doing. So let me ask you, it it appears that percentage is also a double standard. Right. And one of the things that came out in the antitrust hearing was actually an email between Eddie Q and Jeff Bezos. And basically, Eddie Q is saying, all right, you'll have a 15% uh, revenue share with us as your Amazon Prime Video app goes on all of our platforms. Right. This was to get the the Amazon Prime streaming app onto like the Apple TV and iOS devices, right? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And also, I believe right now, if you have a subscription service as a developer, you pay 30% the first year of one of your customers paying and then 15% of that subscription fee Every year after that. Every year after, exactly. That's right. But it's still, Amazon apparently seems to have gotten this deal 15% from day one. From day one, which is way better than 30%. This also goes to the fact about there are many apps that are considered these reader apps and that Apple seems to make special concessions for. Netflix, for example. The idea that you cannot sign up for Netflix in the app you cannot pay for anything in the app. You have to go to their website to sign up. And then once you have the account, you log into the Netflix app on your device. This happens with many apps like Amazon Prime Video, like many Google apps. And then we come to like the hey.com debacle, right? where they seemingly did the exact same thing and Apple were, was not allowing their app to be in the App Store, even though everything about the app seemed to match Netflix's exactly. Absolutely, yeah. When when the Hey debacle first rose up, we posted a, a, a posted I think it was a ten tweet thread about the experiences that we had had with the App Store, right? App Stores actually, iOS and the Mac. We had a lot of negative experiences with the App Stores uh, and a lot of negative experiences with the control Apple exerted. And fortunately, we are a Mac software company and. At this time, and hopefully in the future, you do not need to be in the Mac App Store. On iOS, you need to be in the iOS App Store or your software can't get to anybody's phone. Right. This was something where we looked at this and we said, you know, this is the same sort of problems we were having a decade ago are still in existence and seemingly potentially getting worse as Apple tries to exert more and more control, basically get their fingers into more and more pies. I'm sort of rambling here just because I find this so frustrating having dealt with this for over a decade. But yeah, go ahead. So one of the quotes from Tim Cook from his opening statement also talks about one of the reasons for the app store existing. This is one of his quotes. We held a quality department store as a model, a place where customers can find a great variety of options, but can feel confident that the selection is high quality, reliable, and current, end quote. So this is one of the things where quality and security are seemingly the reasons why Apple has the walled garden of the app store to protect their customers. Unclear, you know, with the Mac, there's the option in the system preferences where, you know, only allow apps from the App Store. Right. And there's the second option of allow apps and apps from trusted developers and then allow all apps. Well, that's actually gone. 
Is that gone now? The allow all is gone, I think, as of 1015. You have to do, uh, at best, you can do App Store plus trusted developers, and then you can manually open those uh, non-signed apps. So, and I find this quote interesting because one... I have three kids, and they've found a lot of free-to-play games that are not of great quality. That are junk, right? (laughs) That are junk. So the quality argument doesn't seem to hold water. Right. But also the fact that, you know, there are so many great apps. Let's take the Mac, for example, such as Rogue Amoeba's incredible apps. You guys are not in the Mac App Store. And so I feel like this statement is implying that we only allow the high-quality apps in, and so you shouldn't look elsewhere, and high-quality is not available elsewhere. And I feel like if the iOS platform was open like Mac, you would find lots of great apps in other places. So, yeah, well, I mean, the the department store analogy I found very strange because there is no such thing as the department store that you're allowed to go to. And there's no other department stores. I mean, we have they're all going out of business. I realize that. But we have Macy's and Sears and Nordstrom and Lord and Taylor. and, And, you know, you've got these you've actually got competition. Whereas what he's describing is, you know, we made the place to get apps and we wanted it to be safe and secure and we wanted to have high quality. But as you said, there's a whole lot of junk you can find. Let's just talk about the iOS app store. There's a whole lot of junk you can find because they have literally millions of apps and there's only so much they can do there. Right. It's to me, they really want to have this both ways. If you look at a platform like Uh, Nintendo. Nintendo exerts a tremendous amount of control on what can be on their platform. And you need to get their approval to release anything for the Nintendo. And it's a very limited platform in that regard. And that's one way of doing it. And you don't have this ecosystem of millions of games for, you know, any Nintendo platform. Uh, But you do have a pretty good guarantee that if you buy a game, it's going to work well. And, you know, it's not going to contain ridiculously offensive content. And, you know, there's ratings, whatever. But so that's one sort of extreme, I think. And then the other extreme is, is something like the Mac, where up until the Mac App Store and even to this day where you can download software still, there's there's not a limitation as to where you can get your software. There's an option to get software from the App Store, but you don't have to use the App Store. And that seems to have worked pretty well too. Uh, But on iOS, they're sort of trying to be in the middle where they have some amount of control and they can shut down whatever they want, as in the case of Hey, which we mentioned, temporarily anyway, and yet also say, oh, but we've got these millions of apps. Anyone can develop anything and and there's almost no restrictions. I don't know. To me, it just doesn't, seem honest to say, you know, we're focused on security and quality, but also we want to have millions of apps and the app review that we do is so minimal that, as you said, a ton of junk gets through. That That's sort of my reaction when I hear that, that analogy, that it just doesn't ring true to what they're actually doing. One of the points that Brent Simmons made, he had an article, I'll put it in the show notes. He's addressing another article uh, from Cult of Mac talking about the app store and how it's just fine. And Brent taking the opposite stance that says, you know, the argument that the App Store is really there for security, that Apple is making sure that malware and virus-prone apps don't get in there. Brent makes the argument that, to Apple's credit, the security is actually in the OS itself and the idea of sandboxing and that apps don't have the ability to kind of reach over and get data from other apps or 
your personal information. And so it seems like security is also kind of like a red herring as far as, you know, it's it's really not there for security either. Right, absolutely. And and especially going back to the Mac, Apple has developed systems outside of the Mac App Store. We talked about it, the developer ID system and now notarization, which is a newer add-on to that, basically. So if you want to distribute software for the Mac, you sign up with Apple and you pay $99 a year, that's fine. You get this developer ID, which basically allows Apple, if they need to, kill your software. And they have not used this, I'd have to look, they've used this maybe two or three times, a, a tiny number of times, for the most critical cases where something was literally malware or was working in a way that was terribly insecure. They have used a very light touch with this, and that's a very good thing because it means users can be secure against something, but also developers don't have to worry, oh, Apple's going to shut my app down because I, you know, who knows, for whatever reason. So the Mac has continued to improve its security while still remaining an open platform where you don't need to go to the Mac App Store. Right. And there's enough technologies on both platforms, on iOS and on the Mac, uh, that keep you secure without thinking that, yeah, App Store review is what's keeping you secure. Right. I mean, it's just, that's, as you said, that's just not what's actually providing the security. So your company, Rogamiba, you have... I think five or six different apps that uh, you do. I'm actually using one right now, Audio Hijack, and it is not available in the Mac App Store. And now is that because of the technology limitations like APIs, or is it really just financially motivated because the percentage is is such a wide gap between what you can get outside the App Store and the 30%? Yes. I mean, yes to all of that. (laughs) Yes to all of that and and more. Uh, I mean, we so we have had two products in the App Store, in the Mac App Store. We had uh, we have our audio editor Fission in the Mac App Store, which we put in there in I think 2012, shortly after the Mac App Store opened, and it has remained in there and has had relatively few issues as far as uh, updates and things like that. Uh, And we had an app called Piezo, which is actually what I'm using right now to to record. That is our simplified audio editor. Sorry, audio recorder. And that was in the Mac App Store initially because we wanted to have an audio recording tool in the Mac App Store. And ultimately, the restrictions that Apple puts in place and the limitations uh, on what you can have in the App Store changed. And we said, all right, we have to take this out of the App Store. When we did, we saw, one, we no longer had to pay 30% on those sales. And the sales that we make directly, we pay, again, something around 5 to 10% all in, in terms of all costs. Mm-hmm. So we make a lot more money per sale. And we didn't really see, I actually have a post from several years ago once we took it out, and we saw that in the year after we removed Piezo from the App Store, we made more money. And we had slightly lower sales, but because each sale was worth more money, we wound up earning more revenue. Hmm. The 30% cut is part of it, absolutely. Uh, The limitations that Apple has prevent something like Audio Hijack or Loopback from being in the App Store because they have limitations that say you can't install anything. So you download an application, and if that application needs to install something additional, it can't be in the App Store. Uh, And our software needs some add-on components. So those those are the two big limitations. But also, as a developer, there's a whole lot of headache associated with updating on the App Store. Hmm. On the Mac, we had, prior to being in the App Store for a decade, we had been shipping software where we said, you know, let's put this together, we'll test it, and then we put it up on our website, and we click a couple buttons, and it's available to everybody. And on the App Store, we have to submit it, wait for it to get reviewed, hopefully it gets approved, then we can put it live, then we have to wait for their servers to update, and then anywhere from, you know, 12 hours to seven days later, our software is available. Right. And if you're trying to ship a bug fix, and for a decade you've been able to say, oh, hey, we've got a bug 
90 minutes later, we've got a fix and it's available on the website and you can download it. And you go from that to, oh, we've got a bug. Well, we fixed it, but now we got to wait for this whole process to play out. And it might be a week. That's definitely a step backwards. Right. I mean, the short answer to your question is that there are many issues and frustrations with the App Store and not enough of them have been resolved in the now nine years that the App Store on the Mac has been around to the point where we don't want to have our software in there or or don't uh, you know want to expend the effort to have our software in there right. when we can make it available directly and do so much better for ourselves and our customers there in terms of so I, just to just to add on to that you know on our website we can offer discounts we can offer refunds right. uh you know we can bundle our software so if you buy multiple products together you can get a discount immediately uh all sorts of things that either weren't initially possible on the app store or still aren't possible on the app store so much more control we have which uh, i think is really beneficial for customers and we lose that in the app store so let me ask you here do you have a percentage that you feel would be more reasonable as a cut from Apple for apps in the iOS and Mac app stores. I'll give you I'll give you an answer, but let me preface it by saying that I don't like to to say like, well, this is the number that it should be because right, right, right. If it, there's not a this is the number it should be. There's thirty percent is too high. Zero percent. Apple could afford it, and maybe it would be good for everybody because their platform being successful means their hardware is successful. Right. Uh, but as you met, as you noted earlier, services revenue is now a big push because that's where they can get growth and drive their stock up. So I understand that. Right. You know, a number like I said right up top, ten percent is a number that to me is a finder's fee kind of number, an agent kind of number. This is not something where Apple is driving customers to businesses. And I think that's the mistake a lot of people make. Mm. I think a lot of people think, well, you're in the App Store and Apple is delivering customers to you. <laughs> and in our experience, that is not how it works. <laughs> right. Definitely not on the Mac. Uh, you know, we, we've built up a name, obviously, over, over 18 years, but we are able to drive our sales. And if we drive them to the App Store, we lose 30%. Uh, so certainly even our product that is in the app store on our website, we don't direct people to the app store. It's just available in the app store. If Apple features you, if they, you know, they have their features on the iOS platform and on the Mac platform where they talk about great apps that they like and, and, you know, great tools for working from home right now. I think they've got a feature on that. Yes. That certainly does drive customers to products and customers who might not find that product otherwise. And that if you, if they got some sort of additional referral fee from something like that, Sure, that makes perfect sense to me. But the fact that even an app that gets no benefit from the App Store beyond hosting and payment is paying 30% is just egregious. So to me, a number, Mm. look, if they dropped it to 25%, I'd say that's still really high. If they said 20%, I'd say, all right, that is at least in the ballpark. Right. Uh, Obviously, 15 is a number that they're comfortable with because that's what you get the second year of a subscription. Right. To me, the number 10 is the best possible number that you'd get, you know, the most, the last plausible number, the lowest plausible number. Right. But something between between 10 and 20%, I think you'd have a lot more people not so worried about the cut that Apple is taking. Right. And potentially worried about other things like the restrictions we mentioned, some of the headaches that we mentioned that that I mentioned, uh, as far as uh, you know, actually using the app stores. But uh, it'd be a lot easier to put up with those sorts of things if you were paying less money uh, on every sale. Right. A tithe on every app, if you would. Right, 10%. right. A tithe is ten percent exactly. Yeah, ten percent is a number that comes up in a lot of a uh, <laughs> lot of ways where you're you're splitting money, and somehow thirty percent has become the number as of about two thousand eight. So one of the other quotes from Tim Cook during the hearing, this was right up the top, and again, this hearing is because 
Congress is trying to say that these companies have a monopoly on certain parts of the market. And so Tim Cook said this up at the top, quote, Apple does not have a dominant market share in any market where we do business. This is not just true for iPhone. It is true for any product category, end quote. And again, this is one of the things where Tim Cook is saying something that's factually true. Right. But also a little ironic because they're the most profitable company in the world and, you know, have tons of money, uh, sell lots of phones. So again, it's one of these weird statements where it's true, but it also kind of paints this weird picture of Apple. A picture that doesn't match reality, basically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. An, an inaccurate picture. And so to that point, let me ask you this. Do you think that Apple should allow sideloading of apps on iOS and iPadOS? Yes, that's another easy one. He gave me an earlier one that was just straight out no. This is straight out yes. Uh, literally since 2008, I have been less so recently just because I'm so burnt out on this. But since 2008, I have said if Apple wants to run an app store, that is great. They can do whatever they want. They can charge 30%. They can charge 90%. Might even be worth it. There's plenty of people that are plenty of companies that have made a lot of money in the iOS app store, even with that 30% cut. But if they want to run the app store, it does not seem right to me that they can charge 30%, that they can block who can be in there, uh, you know, all these limitations that they have. I would love it if Apple ran an app store right. and allowed other app stores or other ways of getting software on there the same way they do on the Mac. Uh, that, to me, is just a no-brainer. Right, because this is also, he, Tim Cook, compared the 30% to say that this is kind of like the going rate among app stores, <laughs> uh, citing like a Google Play or an, and other app stores. Where did that number come from? <laughs> It came right. from Apple doing it. <laughs> They're all following Apple's I mean, lead. That, yeah, that one, was, that one just had to make me chuckle because, of course, that's the going rate because everyone else said, oh, my God, people are developers are paying 30%. Well, why would we ever charge less than that? Right. But also the huge caveat in that statement, too, is that on an Android phone, the Google Play Store is not the only way to get an app. Right. It's optional. That's right. It's optional. And let me go to this. You know, talking about monopoly and kind of the control that Apple has on especially the mobile devices. One of the topics we've talked about on this show is the idea of Sherlocking certain apps. If someone's not familiar with this, it's like someone develops a flashlight app for the one of the first iPhones and there's a whole wealth of flashlight apps and then Apple then takes that feature and builds it into the OS and now that app is is gone. In more recent years, we've actually seen maybe less of that and more just straight acquisitions like Dark Sky and Workflow. Right. You know, apps like Luna Display uh, which is a hardware product and a software product, and then Apple kind of Sherlock's that with Sidecar. Do you feel like their monopoly and control of their app store, does it lessen the incentive to develop good apps like this? Or does it, you know, how, how does it feel as a developer knowing that at any moment this is possible that your app could be Sherlocked? You know, it's an interesting question because we've been developing software for, for almost two decades and, you know, well before the app store Sure. I mean, the term Sherlocking comes from from 20 years ago, right? Uh, from the the app Watson that was made by a company called Corellia, and it was an improvement on Apple's Sherlock application. <laughs> and then Apple later made Sherlock better, and uh, Watson became sort of less necessary for for users. And so th this is a debate that's been had, you know, for well before the app stores. How much should platform makers? build in and how much space should they leave for uh, developers to fill in the gaps. It's always been a concern because the platform vendor, in this case, Apple, wants their platform to be robust. So they're going to build, if, if you build something that is so essential that 95% of users need to have it, 
you have to assume that Apple is going to purchase it from you, copy it, or, you know, those are basically the options. They're not going to just leave you selling that to 95% of their customers. And honestly, they shouldn't. If the platform needs something that badly, uh, it should be part of the platform. Then the argument becomes, you know, should Apple pay for that? Should they acquire it or or whatever? But I, I think it's a it's a lesser issue uh, determining what should be done there uh, than just deciding should Apple build things into their platform. One of the things I've heard, like John Syracuse mentioned this also, but like I use clipboard managers on all my Macs. And that's something where I would almost want Apple to have that kind of feature built into the OS so I don't have to worry about the security implications right. of a third-party app snooping on my clipboard. But on the other hand, you know, like Audio Hijack, again, which I'm using right now, you cannot make that for iPad. Right. There is just not the APIs available to it. If you tried to do something like that, you know, it would not be accepted. Apple could, you know, Apple could take this and and allow you to, you know, do different audio input output settings and all that built into the OS. Uh, Personally, I would love an audio hijack for iPad, but you as the developer just can't even make that. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think that's more a, a concern about you know how open is the platform like you said we could there are ways we could potentially build this we just would not be able to distribute it because if we submitted it to the app store and it was using something like private apis the app store review process would say oh no you're rejected because you're doing this and then we would have no way to distribute the software so to me i mean like look we made this on the mac apple could obviate it on the Mac. They could make it obsolete by building it in themselves. And that's something we always have to worry about. We have a product called Airfoil, which lets you stream audio to AirPlay devices. Mm -hmm. And for a long time on the Mac, the only way to do that was with iTunes. And after several years, they built it into the OS itself. So the OS could send audio to any device. And at that point, Airfoil became less necessary and it uh, generated less revenue for us. It got less fewer sales. And that's sort of something that we expected would happen sooner or later. And, and we moved resources to other products and developed new products. And uh, that's, that's something that's sort of fair game. Whereas, as you mentioned, on the iPad, we simply can't even make a lot of products uh, because we would not be able to distribute them. Right. And I think that to me is something that consumers don't necessarily even realize because it's hard to it's hard to tell someone, hey, you don't know what you're missing out on because you never even get to see it. Right. Uh, and I find that as a developer, I find that sort of depressing because there's all sorts of great ideas, you know, not just that I have, that we have, but millions of developers out there have great ideas and only some of them will be approved by Apple. And the ones that won't and the ones that, you know, might not, because that's the other thing, you can't know what Apple's going to approve until you submit it. Right. Uh, so the things that are edge cases may, might never get explored. And so we don't know what we've lost because of that. Right. Aside from what the general percentage is and all that, you know, I hear people say when they hear that Amazon Prime, they get 15%, uh, but that's okay because they're Amazon and they're huge and Apple needs to make that deal or whatever to get that content on their platform. Do you find that to be a reasonable hand waving away of that happening? Or do you feel like even the big guys say Amazon and Netflix should play by the same rules or is it just par for the course? Well, so associated with that, there was another quote, and I don't want to misquote it, so I'm just going to paraphrase, and maybe you can find the exact quote. But at some point, I think at multiple points, Tim Cook said, we treat all developers the same. And then we see these things that show Amazon got a lower rate. And Hulu, there was a there was an email between Eddie Q and uh, some people internally talking about Hulu, I think. And they were talking about, you know, oh, we can offer them a different rate. And certainly there are all sorts of apps that 
are doing things that shouldn't be approved, but get approved because, oh, it's Facebook or, oh, it's Uber and we want to have this on the platform. And maybe we'll talk to them about it later and get them to fix this or, or change the way they're doing it. But uh, for now, we'll just, you know, give them green light to, to do things that we don't allow other people to do. So uh, the thing that really bothered me, especially about the testimony yesterday, was where Tim Cook I don't know how to square that circle with that statement that says we treat all developers the same, but also Amazon gets a lower rate and, you know, all these other things that I mentioned. Uh, one of those things can't be true. Right. And we know that Amazon got a lower rate. So I'm not going to say Tim Cook lied to Congress, but he was not honest in that answer and in, in many answers. So so to your question, you know, should we just accept this? Is this something that uh, is par for the course? I mean, obviously, there's only so much we can do. Talking about it helps, but yeah. uh, Amazon is huge, and we're not, and, and other developers are not. We're not going to get that that same deal. Uh, but shining a light on it potentially helps, and potentially forces them to say, you know what, uh, everybody has to get the same deal, and maybe it's that 15, percent or maybe Amazon has to pay 30, and the platform isn't quite as good because Amazon decides not to be on the platform. Again, I think this goes back to the idea that if Apple had an app store and right. they said, hey, we want Amazon on our app store, not just distributed, sideloaded or right from their website, we'll give them a special rate. I'd say, you know what? Amazon earned that. They're huge and they got to that dominant position so they can use that leverage to say, you know what? We'll be in your store, but you got to charge us way less money. Right. But when it's the only option, yeah, everyone should have to play by the same rules and Apple should have to improve those rules such that everyone wants to play by them instead of just giving Amazon a pass. And then if you're a small developer who honestly needs the money more, I mean, Amazon can afford to pay 30% probably. They don't want to, they don't have to, but they probably could afford to way better than a small, you know, one or two person shop uh, who's losing such a huge chunk of every sale. Do you feel like Apple would ever actually allow sideloading of apps? It's a good question. I mean, it's certainly the drum I've been beating on literally since 2008. I think they should. And I don't uh, not just for me and not just for customers. I think it would be the best thing for them, because, again, if they just said, hey, these are our rules in our store. But if you don't like them, just don't use our store. I think some huge percentage, you know, 99 percent of people, 95 percent of people would still just use the App Store and Apple would lose almost nothing but would gain, you know, apps that they don't want to have in the app store, things that, you know, they don't necessarily approve of, but would still benefit the platform. The platform would be better off if ideas that developers had were able to be developed and released instead of just Apple acting as the gatekeeper on that. Right. To answer your question, do I think they will? I think they might be forced to at some point in the future. Hmm. Uh, Do I think they should? Absolutely. And I think it would be in even their best interests. I don't think tomorrow they're going to say, you know what? We're going to allow sideloading. I don't think, you know, six months from now they're going to say that. But I think they're getting a lot of scrutiny because of the various practices they have in the App Store where they really have been tightening the screws on developers. I mean, that's that's something we didn't necessarily get into. But with the services revenue push, they have been trying to get more money out of more developers or get money out of more developers. And as they do that, I mean, that's what happened with Hey, is that Hey seemed to have something that matched what Netflix did, just like you said. And then Apple said, no, 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 that's not a reader app. So you need to pay us 30 percent. Yeah. And they said, well, wait a minute, we did not we didn't we didn't plan on having to pay you 30 percent. We didn't plan on any of that. Uh, that doesn't work for our business. You get a lot more scrutiny when these things are happening more and more. And 
not just this antitrust hearing, but, you know, there's a lot going on over in the European Union where they're looking at these percentages, looking at the control that these companies are exerting. And I do think it's possible, at least. Uh, I have some amount of hope that they will either be forced to or they will say, you know what, the smart thing for us to do is to continue to run an app store and continue to run it based on security and quality and maybe even kick out some huge percentage of the apps that are in the app store, (laughs) but allow them to be sideloaded. But the concern about quality of apps on the Mac, if I want to find a good app, uh, just a cursory Google search, there's so many websites that already surface great apps for various needs. You know, again, Rogue Amoeba stuff will come up all the time or or anything else that's not in the Mac App Store. And I think it would be the same case with iOS and iPadOS. You know, if you want to find a great to-do app or a great calendar app and you search for it, there'll be no shortage of articles to say like, hey, here's one of the best apps and you can get it and you can trust it. And, you know, that's honestly how I found a lot of iOS apps even now. I typically don't peruse the app store and come across a great app by searching in the app store itself right exactly right and even like the new articles that apple writes you know about a set of apps or a specific app and saying you know i still find apps that i love and and discover through twitter someone tweeting it or someone writing an article or a review about it so i don't think that it would be a concern about all of a sudden you know you can't find the good apps no, absolutely. And and yeah, it's something where we have the web, we have social media, we have word of mouth. This stuff can spread in ways far better than the app stores allow. Again, if Apple says, this is how we're doing it and we control it, but if you don't like it, go somewhere else, you can. Right now, the go somewhere else is go use Android or go use Windows. Right. Uh, some days that seems somewhat attractive to me, uh, which is sort of depressing because I've used a Mac for Oh, my God. 37 years. Uh, No, 33 years. I'm sorry. 33 years uh, since 87. Uh, And I don't I don't want to have to switch my platform. I like using these platforms. Uh, I just wish they were a little more open to allow uh, for a little more than Apple is necessarily comfortable with or or wants to give their uh, premature to. Absolutely. Well, you've been very kind, Paul, uh, for your time. Did you have any other closing statements or anything that you'd like to comment about? A whole lot of this has been, there's been talk about monopoly and, uh, you know, does Apple have a monopoly? And the problem that I see uh, with the antitrust hearings that we just saw is that as the laws are written right now, uh, they don't have a monopoly. A monopoly is defined by being the only uh, supplier of something, and therefore you can charge whatever you want. I mean, that's a super simplistic definition, but right. as as you sort of alluded to, they have a monopoly on profits from <laughs> mobile devices. <laughs> right. And that, I don't know if we need new laws or if we need to uh, adjust the interpretation of current laws, or there's plenty of people who think, you know, laws aren't the way to fix this, whatever. But if you look at the, the situation we have right now where one company is dominant uh, on Profits for mobile devices, profits mm-hmm. for mobile apps. Right. That's not really good for anybody except for that company. It's obviously working very right. well for $1.7 <laughs> trillion dollar market cap Apple. Right. But that's not a good thing for anyone else trying to make a platform, obviously. It's not a good thing for developers who have to put up with whatever limitations Apple wants to put in place. And ultimately, it's not a good thing for customers. And that's really what the laws should be built to defend uh, is, you know, customers should not be gouged on price and customers should not uh, be limited in what they can can do with their devices and products. So I think if you if you step back and look at it, I I don't want to get into, you know, the legal aspects of it because we can people can wrangle with that. And, and I'm not a lawyer. I assume you're not a lawyer. No, but 
I think you can just step back and take a common sense look at it and say, this situation is suboptimal, where one company has the right to say, your app doesn't get to be on our platform, and that platform is incredibly important to the world. Right. Uh, Those two things are in conflict with each other and ideally would be improved. And so we talked about sideloading and we talked about other ways to do that. But I think it's if, if you step back and look at it, you can see, you know what, this isn't as good as it could be. And it would be better if we could improve this. That would be a good thing. Right. Because already Apple has the monopoly on what devices can run their software. You can only run Mac OS on a Mac. Same thing with iOS and iPad OS. Again, leaving aside any Hackintosh that. Right. Sure. You know, there's already a monopoly on that. And so if, if someone wants to make an app sideloaded in the app store or not, it can only run on their device. And so whatever quality great apps are developed, they already benefit because there's no other phone. Again, unlike Google, where Android can run on Samsung, Huawei, any thousand other brands, you know, there's already operating system monopoly, if you will. I don't know if you need also an app store monopoly, which they have. Right, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of, that, that was the one thing we hadn't touched on. That sort of would be, my closing thought would be that if you stop and look at this situation, the, the problem is that so many people look and they say, in 2005, I had a dumb phone and it had Snake and it had uh, a lousy WAP web browser. And, and <laughs> it, this is obviously so much better than that. And of course it is. I mean, the iPhone is so much better than what came before it and continues to get better. But that's not what we should strive for. We should strive to have something even better than that. And I think we're running into the limitations of things like the App Store. Uh, and that's holding back what we should be able to do with these devices. I'll say it for you, Paul, but everyone should check out rogamoeba.com. They make incredible Mac apps, two of my favorites, Audio Hijack and Loopback. If you do anything with audio on your Mac, and if you're a podcaster especially, check out those apps, rogamoeba.com. You could just search for it in your web browser, and they'll come right up. And Paul, is there anything else that we can point people to for you or your business? Uh, well, let me just give you, we years ago, we acquired macaudio.com because no one can oh. spell the word rogue and no one can spell the word amoeba. <laughs> amoeba has multiple spellings. <laughs> but so the the better domain to point people to is just macaudio.com, which will lead you to rogueamoeba.com. You know, it's kind of funny you say that because I was trying to type in rogue amoeba <laughs> before we started the show and somehow I got another website called like Rogue America or or something or rogue American. Okay. Kind of auto-completed. And that is a very strange website. Do not go to that one. I'm sorry I even said it. <laughs> Don't go to that one. MacAudio.com, rogueamoeba.com if you can spell yes. it. Not whatever one no, you no, ran no. into. MacAudio.com. Get some of those apps. They're incredible and you'll love them. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's 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 good to talk about this stuff, and I think it's it's useful to sort of uh, open people's minds to to what's possible on these platforms that maybe isn't currently possible. 